there's a book that's endured for generations, shaped entire nations, and is still the best-selling book of all time. It's a book that tells of prophets and preachers, of kings and carpenters, a book meant for everyone. There's more to the story. Explore the book you thought you knew at Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Plan your visit today at museumofthebible.org slash explore. Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I'm your host, Mario Costabile, and this podcast will deliver hope along with some faith formation. We will explore areas of our faith to better understand who we are as Catholics. Our topic today is understanding the scriptures. How many of us actually read the Bible on a regular basis? And when we read the Bible, do we understand it? What is it telling us? And how is it changing our lives? After all, it is the Word of God. It should be transforming us, drawing us closer to God to better understand who God is. Is it doing this for us? The scriptures are love letters from God to us. Our guest today is Jeff Cavins, and he will help us to better understand the scriptures and how we can learn by them and be fed by them. So welcome to A Reason for Hope, and here we go. Dave, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, nothing much. I'm looking forward to Lent. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I've uh, never actually met anyone who's looking forward to Lent. Yeah, well, I'm a bit odd. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I concur. You're looking forward to Lent? No, More I concur. More than I'm odd. <laughs> I concur that you're odd. Uh, well, um, why are you looking forward to Lent? I think, you know, the holidays are over. Now you're like in the midwinter blah, mm. you know? Mm. Um you feel kind of aimless. The holidays give you a purpose, you know? Um, so you feel aimless. I'm off schedule a bit, a little undisciplined. I think generally sometimes people get weary. Mm -hmm. So uh, so I want spring to come. Mm. And uh, one, one thing that, like, people do in, uh, like, late winter, as the spring's getting closer, they do, like, a spring cleaning. Yeah. And I— I think it serves like a obviously a practical purpose. It cleans up the house a bit, you know. But I think there's also like a psychological and emotional purpose mm. that that people are kind of ready for change. They want to get things going. They want to get life in the house in order. They want to start Definitely. off fresh, you know. And and uh, so Lent, which by the way is a word that actually means spring, is kind of like that. It's kind of like a time for some spiritual spring cleaning, you know, an opportunity to make some changes, get fresh, get your spiritual house in order. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just, I'm kind of ready for that. And this is really interesting. Uh, so speaking of Lent, what are some things people can do then? Well, um, okay. So, you know, first I'd recommend, honestly, getting away from the whole I choose my own penance thing. Mm. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I think the reason I say that is because when people have too many choices and too much time on their hands, they're actually less productive and less happy. I noticed this, by the way, in my own children, like when it gets towards the end of the summer, like they're just, they're aimless. 
And when they get started with the school year, as much as they'll complain about not wanting school to start, they get on a schedule, they get an order that's imposed on them, and they actually feel lighter and are happier. That's a good point. um, So for that reason, I would say don't go about just doing your own thing. There's a value in doing a penance that's prescribed for you that imposes on you a new order or schedule because you actually need to build your life and your choices around that thing. So in this vein, I really recommend trying to do the traditional fast for Lent. I don't know if the uh, the audience, the viewers uh, know this, but certainly anyone older would know this. But it was the case from the earliest times until like the 70s or so that anyone 21 years or older, I think until the age of 59, would fast for the entirety of Lent except for Sundays. And that meant one full meal only a day, though if necessary, you could have like basically two what they called collations, which are snacks. They're not meals. Mm. And those couldn't include meat. And the two of them together couldn't equal the the full meal. Mm. And you were not supposed to eat in between meals, though you could have liquids in between meals. So check that out. Fasting every day, only one full meal every day, not eating in between meals every day, and only these two snacks at other times if you needed it to take the edge off, so to speak, or if your work, you know, people work. And so they could get tired you could get a headache. You could start mm-hmm. to not feel well. So you right. get just a little something to keep little, you going. A little hit. Yeah. You were to fast and abstain on Ash Wednesday and on Good Friday through noon, by the way, on Holy Saturday. So you're supposed to fast on Good Friday and abstain all the way till noon of Saturday. Um, so that's the traditional fast. Two so days. Yeah. So like nowadays, they only you only have to fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Yeah. And it's obviously fast and abstinence on those two days. But those are the only two days you're supposed to fast. And then you abstain on Friday's meat meat during Lent. You notice how that's like nothing compared to like the traditional fast. They've really been lax. Um, So I would say for the sake of, you know, doing something that gets imposed on you, people might say, well, since you're not obligated to do this anymore, it actually is choosing your own penance. Mm. But it's kind of not in my opinion. It's like choosing the traditional Uh, penance that was prescribed by the church. But in addition to fasting, our our blessed Lord recommends almsgiving and prayer. And just a little bit of a quick aside, people can go back to last year's Lenten retreat that I did on the A Reason for Hope Candid episodes. But these practices, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, are actually supposed to be a counterweight or counterbalance that offsets our tendency, our concupiscence, our lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the lust of the flesh is supposed to be um, combated with fasting. So we we fast so that we deny the flesh, mm. all right? The lust of the eyes is combated with almsgiving because the lust of the eyes, the desire to possess, the desire to have, mm. to accumulate— and so you give alms, you give up, you dispossess yourself, you give up your possessions. And then pride, which tends to want to put you first and at the center of the universe, and even put yourself above God, where you decide for yourself what's good and what's evil, right. 
um, prayer, getting on your knees and showing your dependence, that you are not independent, that you are dependent totally on God, and that God is the Lord and you are not, um, combats that pride. So, so those practices were, they're supposed to be spiritual helps to us that, that we're actually doing combat during Lent. So I would recommend maybe choosing a charity over Lent that you're going to give sacrificially to in addition to the money that you give your parish. Mm. And and even if you give something up to, to get that money, maybe you're going to give up alcohol, maybe you're going to give up coffee, maybe you're going to give up eating out, whatever you're going to give up, take that mm-hmm. money and give it to the poor. Mm-hmm. And then you should take on extra practices of prayer. And uh, and I can't recommend highly enough taking up the scriptures in this regard. Yeah, that's that's great. So. That's great advice. Well, as a matter of fact, our episode today is Understanding the Scriptures with Jeff Cavins which I'm really excited to share with the listeners and viewers. Maybe you can highlight why reading the scriptures is so important. Well, I mean, it's the word of God, right? Mm. So God is speaking to us. He's revealing himself to us. He's revealing his heart to us. He's telling us what he wants from us and for us. Now, you can't interpret the Bible however you like. So, you know, you need to join what you're reading to the teachings of the church and see the scriptures in light of the church's teaching. I mean, it's really the church's reflection on the scriptures for over 2,000 years that is their authentic meaning, right? So you're not going to get a message that contradicts something the church teaches. However, if the goal of our spiritual practice is actually communion with God, to being drawn into intimacy with God, you can't have communion without communication. So then prayer, which is communicating with God, is absolutely necessary if we're going to enter into communion with God. So you need to you need to be having God speak to you through his word and then speaking to him responding to that word in your prayer. I think it's it's indispensable if you want to be close to God in relationship with God. Um by the way, you know Jeff Cavins has produced some incredible stuff to help people read the Bible well. I mean, his great adventure Bible is great. Um, it's really great. And you know that's the basis of the Bible in a year podcast with Father Mike Schmitz, uh, which has been like, what it's like one of the top podcasts of all podcasts, not just like Catholic podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't know, I think just in January started the catechism in a year that they're doing yes. together as well. Yeah. So so that's, that's going to be a great help too. You read the catechism to be able to read the scriptures with the mind of the church, right? Yeah, so. yeah. And I, I want to point out also, uh, it's important to read a Catholic Bible. Right, yeah. because it's it's the interpretation and of the Catholic Church as it uh, understands what the Scripture is revealing to us. Because there are different interpretations, there are different translations. Right. So I want to share that with our viewers. And there's and also listeners. there's also more books in a Catholic Bible than there is in right. a in a Protestant Bible. And just so our listeners know, the the reason for that is that um, the Catholic Church accepts the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint which has 46 books in it, whereas uh, Protestants use the the Jewish translation called the Tanakh, which has 39 books in it. So there are seven more books in Catholic Bibles than Protestant ones because there are seven more books in the Greek Old Testament than there is in the Hebrew Old Testament. And then just as an aside, why do Catholics use the Greek Old Testament? Well, it's because it was the one that was 
that was used at the time of Jesus and the and the apostles. Right. And even Saint Paul quotes language. from the books that are in the Septuagint that aren't in the Tanakh. Right. So and as the church evangelized the Greek world, the Greek translation of the Old Testament was the predominant one used. Yeah. So you you would you're the only one that would know that. <laughs> what what is that game show that uh, it's like uh Jeopardy? Jeopardy. <laughs> Those are Jeopardy questions that you would probably win at. All right, this is great hanging with you, Dave, and, and, and sharing uh, the importance of Scripture. Thanks. You're welcome. And Jeff Cavins, can't wait to hear him. Yeah. Hey, guys, what's up? It's me, Alanis, here with Who's That Saint, where I give you guys three clues on one saint for you to guess before the big reveal. Clue one. This saint's uncle was a man named Cardinal Giovanni Angelo Medici, who later became Pope Pius IV. And so this new pope really hooked his nephew up and asked him to come to Rome to serve as a cardinal deacon. And soon thereafter, he was appointed as the Archbishop of Milan. Who's that saint? Clue two. Since Milan was the largest diocese in the Catholic Church at the time, and corruption was sadly quite prominent, the saint saw it as his mission to drive out all of that corruption, and his strategy was to provide education to members of the clergy, and he's actually credited with the founding of seminaries for the purpose of educating priests. Who's that saint? Clue three. He's a patron saint of bishops, catechists, Italy, Monterey, California, cardinals, seminarians, spiritual leaders, and Sao Carlos in Brazil. Who is that saint, guys? Well, if you guys guessed St. Charles Borromeo, then you are correct. St. Charles Borromeo was born on October 2nd, 1538 in Italy. He was the second son of wealthy parents who raised him in an extremely religious atmosphere. And because of his skills of organization and dealing with people, his uncle, Pope Pius IV, made Charles a cardinal of the church. St. Charles Borromeo devoted his entire life to helping the people of God become more like Jesus, helping to foster the kingdom of God, especially serving as a key figure in what is sometimes called the Catholic Counter-Reformation in the 1500s. His feast day is November 4th. St. Charles Borromeo, pray for us. Hi everyone, this is Jack Garno. Welcome back to The Music Corner. We are very blessed here at Array of Hope to be able to produce original music for the Catholic Church and the broader Christian community. If you haven't heard, Array of Hope's music division released its debut single, One Life, back in early January. You can find AOH Music on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or wherever you stream music. Our song, One Life, is an anthem for life. It can be easy to get distracted by the trivial things of this world. Sometimes, God gives us a much-needed shock to wake us up and remind us of what truly matters. What truly matters? Jesus reveals to us in Scripture and in our hearts that it is our relationship with God that truly matters. That is the meaning of life to bask in the awesome presence of God in each and every moment. The evil one tries to divert us from this ultimate purpose, but we need to fight the devil off and praise God in everything we do through prayer. For this is where we find Christian joy, 
in the devotion to the virtues of faith, hope, and love. We have one life to live, so let's live it. Jeff Cavins is an American Catholic evangelist, author, and biblical scholar. He was a Protestant pastor before his reversion to the Catholic Church. He is known for taking complex theological concepts and making them practical for everyone to understand. Over the past several years, Jeff has dedicated his life to developing the Great Adventure Bible Studies, an extremely useful, practical, and color-coded interactive Bible study system. Jeff is the founding host of EWTN's Life on the Rock, and his conversion story is found in the best-selling book, My Life on the Rock, A Rebel Returns to the Catholic Faith. He's also the author of I'm Not Being Fed, Discovering Food That Satisfies the Soul. He is also the co-editor of the Amazing Grace series of books, which features stories concerning faith, hope, healing, inspiration, and humor that strengthen the spirit and nourish the soul. He is currently the director of the Archbishop Harry J. Flynn Catechetical Institute based in St. Paul, Minnesota. Jeff resides with his wife, Emily, and their three daughters in Minnesota. Let's welcome Jeff Cadence. So here we go, Jeff. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here. Uh, I've often admired you, your work, and uh, we've met several times. And, and thank you so much for joining us here on our podcast. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm uh, I'm enjoying uh, this journey through life, mm. and uh, I'm looking forward to every aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you said that. Uh, it's important that we enjoy ourselves, right? Uh, the Lord expects us to be joyful, right? And uh, that's part of the journey. So that that's good to hear you say it. I'm happy. Um, so, you know, I, I know a little bit about you. I, I certainly know about your work, but uh, I often like to start our interviews, our discussions with really going a little bit deeper about the person that I'm speaking with. So hopefully that's okay. Uh, sure. I, I know that you're a convert. Am I right about that? Yeah, I'm a revert. Oh, 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 okay, okay. So I got that wrong. Well, well let's, let's talk about that. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, you were born and raised Catholic, right? I was. I was uh, uh, born in Iowa and raised Catholic for, you know, all, all of my period growing up. And then about 18 years, I was about 18 years old, I started to really, really search and uh, looked into Eastern religions and, and uh, the Bhagavad Gita, Tibetan Book of the Dead, Eastern meditations, Beatles, Bob Dylan, the whole thing. And that, <clears throat> that kind of led me, excuse me, it led me to... Uh, to really, to really go go deeper, and uh, through a girl in college who I'm now married to, she introduced me to this personal relationship with Jesus, which I, I really didn't know anything about that. You know, I didn't have any kind of what I would call relationship with God when I was growing up, even though I was Catholic. And that was my own ignorance, but I ended up, um, uh, you know, going after this completely. And I gave my life to God and uh, ended up in Bible college in Dallas, Texas. And shortly after that, I left the Catholic Church and uh, continued on in radio and television. And and then uh, I was ordained a Protestant pastor. 
Oh, and, wow. Uh, that's, and then that's studied, studied my way back into the Catholic that's Church. That's what so I remember. Yeah. I'm a revert. You yeah. know, I think Scott Hahn gave me that title, right. a revert right. versus a convert, but I'm uh-huh. almost a convert. <laughs> so h- how do you formally lead the Catholic Church? Uh- <laughs> you got to yell at a bishop. <laughs> <laughs> did you do that? No, you didn't do that. I did. I did it. And I did it in spades. Oh, uh, he, wow. The, bis- the bishop came from Fargo. Uh, to Valley City, North Dakota, not for a mass, but just to just to hear the people, you know, kind of like open up. How are things going? This is what we're doing. So Emily and I went, and I had by that time, he didn't know it, of course, but by that time, I was thoroughly frustrated with the Catholic Church. I was going to the Catholic Church, but I was also going to the Assembly of God Church on Wednesdays because they had a Bible study. And uh, the the bishop came through and he held this open service to uh, field questions and I raised my hand and he pointed to me and I was probably the fifth or sixth person to ask a question. I stood in the middle of the aisle and I kind of came unglued and I had told him that I had given my life to the Lord, but uh, there doesn't seem to be any room for me in the Catholic Church. And I raised my voice and I clapped my hands. I stomped my feet as if to knock the dust off of my feet. And I looked at the bishop and I I said in a very loud voice, I said, from this day forward, and I pointed right at him. And then I yelled at the top of my lungs. I said, I am not Catholic. And I turned around and started walking out of the church. And my poor wife was following me out, looking at everybody in the small town of North Dakota. Like, I don't know why, I don't know what got into him. I'm really sorry, (laughs) you know? Wow. And uh, the next day, I went out to a convent outside of town, which was my custom every day to go out there and pray with these charismatic nuns out there. And um, they were there at that meeting when I yelled at the, at the Bishop Driscoll from uh, Fargo. And they told the bishop, uh, don't go back to Fargo tonight. Stay in the priest's quarters out at the uh, monastery because he comes out every morning. And I don't know what got into him. So he did. And I didn't know it. Next morning, I got on my motorcycle and I rode out there. And I knocked on the door like I normally do, and he answered the door. Oh my! And I was almost passed out. I thought for sure he was going to give me a card, you know, go to hell. You know, <laughs> there. And uh, so he invited me in, and he said, "I want to hear your story." So I wow. told him my story, and uh, he said, "I'm going to tell you three things." He said, "Number one, the journey you're on is of the Lord," and I went. Wow, that's nice. They're the first one, first Catholic to acknowledge it, you know. And he said, number two, I'm going to call you little Newman. Now, that meant absolutely nothing to me other than he was saying, you're a joker, clown. You're like um, Al Newman or uh, Al, whatever his name is from Mad Magazine. Alfred Newman on Mad Magazine. That's what I thought he was saying. Like, okay, you're kind of a clown or whatever. And, and then he said, the third thing he said was, he looked at me and he pointed right at me and he said, you mark my words. He said, one day you're going to return to the Catholic Church wow. and you're going to teach your people. Wow. And I said, I said, I don't think so. I don't even know what to call him, you know, your highness or sir or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, uh, you know, I said, I don't think so. And I got up, I shook his hand, I walked out. And that's how I left the Catholic Church. Wow. Wow. And uh, so how long were you a pastor? I was gone for about 15, almost 16 years, and I was a pastor for 12 of those years. Uh, 
uh, seven years in Minneapolis and five in Dayton, Ohio. Wow, that's that's really interesting. So, all right, so this is the million dollar question. So 15, well, 12 years, you said you were a pastor. And of course, all the time before that. So what started to open up your eyes back to the Catholic Church? How was God touching you to reveal to you that, uh, you know, the Catholic Church is the one true church? Mm-hmm. Well, probably, uh, I would say, well, number number one, I was different than a lot of the other non-denominational pastors that that I knew. I was different, and I was different in that I was very serious about study. I'm not talking about just meditating on the Bible and coming up with a story and grabbing four scriptures. I'm, I mean, I would study, and I studied a lot. And the about my second year into being a pastor. I started to study with a group from Jerusalem, uh, Hebrew University, David Flusser, Shmuel Safrai in the United States, um, Dr. Marvin Wilson from uh, Massachusetts, Gordon Conwell. Um, I, I, I started to study with other guys like uh, Dwight Pryor out of Austin, Texas, and others who are well-known around the world for uh, teaching about the Jewish backgrounds to the gospel. Uh, Jesus, the Jew, the rabbi, the one who taught using, you know, methods of of the time. So I became so fascinated with understanding the the early church from a Jewish perspective as the the roots of Christianity. So I did that for ten years, and I studied under the best, and I that really opened up my eyes. And the more I studied that, the more I started to realize that this. This modern-day, charismatic, non-denominational church that I was a pastor of really didn't look much like that early church. So I started studying the early church fathers more and more. And for our for our listeners, that's you know the first first three four hundred years of of the church, the the real leaders, you know Augustine and Jerome and Athanasius and others. And in the more I got into the church fathers. I started to look at the common denominators in this church, like the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, uh, Mary as the uh, the Gevera, the Queen Mother over the kingdom. I started to notice that they believed that the Word of God wasn't just sacred scripture, but it was sacred scripture and sacred tradition, and perhaps most important, the Eucharist, mm. that the Eucharist was not a symbol it was not Welch's grape juice and uh, a slice of bread, but it was the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. Now, as I looked at all that, uh, and just being honest, a crisis of faith took place. Mm, I'm like, I bet if that if that's what the church looked like, and I think I'm a New Testament church in the 1980s. Mm. I'm missing something here, or they're missing something, and and so. That brought on a crisis of faith, so I went on a hunt for, does anybody believe these things anymore that I'm seeing in the early church there? I knew one thing for sure. I'm not going back to the Catholic Church. That's not happening. Um, so I started to study, and it. I started to land on more liturgical churches, mm. you know, Methodist Church. And then right. I finally wound up with the Anglican right. Church. Mm-hmm. And so I started to develop a relationship with the uh, the Anglican Church, and I had an interview with the bishop in Kansas City to see about me becoming an Anglican priest. 
Wow. Because I knew I wasn't going to be Catholic. And I knew that a lot <laughs> of the stuff I was finding was certainly in the Catholic Church. But boy, you know, from my perspective at that point, Whore of Babylon and, mm-hmm. you know, and the Mark of the Bees. I'm not going back to that, that, right. that pool of death, you know, that my parents belong to. <laughs> and so, so I, I, uh, I went and I, t- I spoke to that bishop and he, he was so kind to me and, and he, they, they looked at my academic background and everything else. And after some time, they accepted me. I went back, I went down there again and they accepted me. Wow. And I would become a deacon. I think it was a deacon for a year. And then I would be ordained as a priest. Now, when I was there and they told me this, I was really excited. And I went, before I got, on the, got back to the airport to come back home, I went over to the book table. And there was a book on the book table by Thomas Howard. And it was called Evangelical is Not Enough. And I opened it up. And I thought, oh, this is exactly what I've been saying. My wife, I said, this is what we've been talking about for this last couple of years. You know, this is exciting. And I said, I'm going to buy it. So I bought it. I read it on the airplane, just ate it up. And then as I got to the end of the book, he says, I wrote this book and I'm making these numbers up. I think it's circa around. He says, I wrote this, I wrote this book in 1987. I converted to the Catholic Catholic church in 1989. (laughs) Oh my gosh. How did he do this? And it, it really, it really set me back. Wow. So I found out his n- number and I called him and I told him, I said, I need to know why you did that. And he told me, and I said, uh, Mr. Howard, I said, same thing's happening to me. That's what exactly what is happening to me. And he said, well, I want you to talk to two of my friends who just went through this themselves. Uh, one is uh, Scott Hahn and the other is Marcus Grodi. Oh gosh. And I said, okay. okay. I said, okay, whoever I didn't know, I never heard of them, you know. Yeah. So I wrote I wrote their names down and I put it up on the uh windowsill. I just left it there. And I went back to studying and studying and studying. And um as I studied more and more, uh, it became evident that God was calling me back home, which meant no job. <laughs> you know, it meant that I'm giving up ministry. I'm just I'll I'll just go back into radio or I'll run a gas station or something. I don't know what I'll do. And so when I made, I made my mind up, I was going to do that. And then I, I contacted this guy, Scott Hahn. I called him and uh, five minutes into the conversation with Scott, we're only 10 days apart in age, but, um, Oh really? Uh, wow. yeah, yeah. We were, we're uh, 10 days, 10 days older than me. Wow. So I got to respect, I got to respect him. So, and he's had but a similar, I, uh, he's had a similar journey, you know, he had to yeah, yeah. leave his job and, you know. Yeah. 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 You can leave everything. But yeah. nowadays it's not quite like that. Nowadays somebody can convert and say, well, I'm going to write a book, you know, and there was nothing like that for, for us at all. You know, is you convert, you lose it. You know, you, you're going back to square one in a way. You're not going to certainly not going to um, have a church and be, and be a pastor anymore. But I was talking to Scott on the phone and after about five minutes, he says, Jeff, He's, I said, yeah, he says, uh, I just have a feeling you and I are going to be best friends for a long time. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, what is he talking? Who is this guy? You know, I like, whatever, just answer my questions. But I had made up my mind that, you know, that I was going to go back. The Lord was calling me back to come into the, back to the church. And that came through Bishop Paul Dudley in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who was my childhood pastor. And he's the one that coached me right back into uh, the church. And so I came back to the church and then uh, Emily, my wife uh, converted to the Catholic Church a year later, 
And then I started to teach at Steubenville, Franciscan University. I taught introduction to scripture and at the same time got a uh, Catholic uh, graduate degree. And then after two years there, Mother Angelica called me and asked me to come on her show to tell my story, which I did. And in the middle of the show, she said, she says, ah, honey, you know, that beautiful voice she had. She said, would you pray about doing a, a show for us, a 13-week show? And I said, sure, let me pray. And I put my head down and closed my eyes and then opened them up and said, yes. <laughs> and that show ended up being uh, Our Father's Plan that Scott Hahn and I did. It's a 13-week show because nobody knew me at all. You know, so I thought, well, Scott, you and I will do it together. And then after that live show with Mother, she took me off to the side of the studio and she asked me to pray about moving there and starting my own show on Thursday nights. She said, I've been praying about this for quite a while for young adults. And the Lord told me tonight, you're the one. And I said, well, I need to pray about that for, you know, for a couple of months because I was teaching at Steubenville. And so I prayed about it. And I said, yes. And we moved to Birmingham, Alabama, and I started Life on the Rock. This is a fascinating story. I didn't know this stuff about you. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners <laughs> didn't know that journey, which is really cool. I mean, you really had uh, a tug of war with God, you know, back and forth with mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, it's beautiful, actually, to, and to, to, to hear it. There's a book that's endured for generations, shaped entire nations, and is still the best-selling book of all time. It's a book that tells of prophets and preachers, of kings and carpenters, a book meant for everyone. There's more to the story. Explore the book you thought you knew at Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Plan your visit today at museumofthebible.org slash explore. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, so, you know, I, I often get like, um, through my, you know, I had a, a, a different journey. I mean, I was a secular film and uh, music producer for 40 years, and then I kind of got involved in ministry much later and formed a ray of hope. But I have a lot of friends that I talk to uh, about their faith and their journey. And often they'll say to me, you know, Mary, you know, yeah, I, I used to be Catholic. Now we go to uh, this other church. It's a little better for us. And, you know, they're really, they really talk about the Bible, a little bit more rooted in the Bible than the Catholic church. And then, you know, uh, it, it, it kills me because I'm saying, you don't understand, the Catholic Church is all about the Bible. So maybe you can kind of share, uh, I'm sure you go through this frustration as well, because uh, people approach you about that all the time. How would you respond to someone that would say something like that, given your, your background and your love for the Bible? Sure. Well, I, I would say, um, uh, to begin with, we, we have to ask ourselves, where did the Bible come from? Exactly. You know, and when I when I say the Bible, I mean the seventy seven books. Where did that come from? You know, where did? And if I was talking to a Protestant friend of mine, I would just ask, "Where do you think that came from?" The Bible, and they'd say, "Well, let's see." And oh, it came from uh, Zondervan Publishing. You know, no, no, no. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm talking about where do you think those seventy seven books of mine and sixty six of yours? Where do you think it came from? And they'll say, "Well, I guess you know the." The early church kind of came up with this, uh, you know, and, and I said, well, how, how do you know that those books are the inspired word of God? Do you believe that they're the inspired word of God? And they'd say, oh, absolutely. Every one of them, third John, second John, Philemon, all of it, right? Yes, all of it. It's all the inspired word of God. Okay. I'm just simply asking you a question. Why do you believe that? Now there's only one answer and it's the answer that St. Augustine gave. And that uh, they can say, well, 
it feels like it's, I, I'm inspired by it. I feel that, and I'll say, mm. ah, wait a minute, that's what the Mormon said. Mormon <laughs> said that the Book of Mormon was inspired because of the, the warmth in the chest that it brought, okay? Right. That's, that's not an answer. So why do you believe that's the inspired Word of God? It's not the table of contents, that's for sure. Uh, because each of these books didn't know the other books were going to be all put together at one point. Paul didn't even realize that all of his letters were going to be bound together at one point, you know. So why do you believe that? And they finally get to the point where they have to say, I don't know. I don't know. So then I, I want to bring out in a loving, charitable way, this isn't a contest. This is not fighting with people and trying to be smart, you know. But it's 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 uh, to illustrate something. And and they'll say, I don't know. And, and I'll say to them, I, I know you don't. I know you don't, but let me tell you why you do now. And that is because of the Catholic bishops. And they're like, what? I say, in the councils of Hippo and Carthage in 393 and 397, the Catholic Church determined that these books were the inspired word of God, the canon. And that's all. That's the answer. So St. Augustine said, he said, I would not... I would not believe that the Bible was the word of God had not the church told me. Hey, if you're enjoying this interview, be sure to check out the full video version on the Array of Hope channel. Subscribe for free at watch.arrayofhope.net. Then download the app by searching Array of Hope on your mobile device, Apple TV, or Roku. So one of your major contributions to helping ordinary Catholics is understanding the Bible has been the rise of the Great Adventure Bible and the Bible in the Year podcast with Father Mike Schmitz. Uh, so right. uh, what was the inspiration? I, I know the, the Bible has always been your passion, but now it, that passion, the Lord uh, invoked an inspiration to share it with the world, and you do it so beautifully and and so clever. And then the success of the podcast, it's it's— it's the biggest uh, podcast, uh, especially, uh, I think, of all podcasts. It's it's one of the leading— all of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's. Extra, I was going to say of all Catholic podcasts, but it's ab above and beyond that. So tell me the inspiration uh, about uh, you know putting that together and 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 the and really the uh, the sense of accomplishment and 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 really purpose in doing that. Yeah, well, it's it certainly is humbling. That's for sure. And uh, I used to hear people talk about. Uh, something happened and they said, well, it's humbling. And I thought to myself, yeah, whatever, you know. And then when you're in that situation, something like the Bible in a year happens, it truly is humbling. It really is it's hard to explain, I guess, but it it puts you in your place really quick as to what God is doing, you know, mm, amen. despite you. But the Bible in a year was based on um, the the Great Adventure Bible study, which what, what I did when I was 25 is I had a desire to to see the entire story of salvation history. I'm very visual. And I wanted to see that, that story come to life. But I, I, I knew the stories in the Bible, but I didn't know the story. I could tell you all about Samson and Delilah. And I could entertain you for an hour with that, you know, or mm -hmm. I, could, I could talk about uh, Joseph and I could entertain you with that for an hour, you know, and talk about all these things. But I couldn't tell the story. So, what happened to me one day is I was getting ready to go into a Hebrew class at the University of Minnesota, 
And I was listening to a, a biblical scholar go through the history of archaeology, biblical archaeology. And he was, he was as, as dry as a bone. But <laughs> he, he went from the uh, Copper Age to the Bronze Age to the Iron Age. And he was just flowing in this story of all these discoveries and things and the, and the story of salvation history. And I thought, wow, I'd like to do that with the Bible. Now that combined with looking at one guitar player is what suddenly gave me the idea to do what I did. And that guitar player was Phil Kagey. Phil Kagey is, uh, was, is considered one of the best guitar players in the world. And I went to see him in concert several times. He later came on Life on the Rock three times. Wow. You know, we became friends and talked a lot about the Lord. But he, uh, he would play in his concerts on his Les Paul or his, uh, his Flying V or all these different, you know, guitars. And I noticed that his eyes were closed, but his hands were precise on the fretboard, just going up and down and up and down and in his hand, you know, even with a cutoff finger. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I was blown away. And I said to myself, I want to play the Bible like that. Mm. I want to play the Bible like that. So my first thought was I was going to create a timeline chart. I could see it in my mind's eye a timeline chart that would lay the whole story out so that people could see it. But my first thought was, I'm going to make it a fretboard. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to go from the, from the early world all the way up to Jesus and the church, you know, and, and I was just going to, I was going to be able to play salvation history as, as a speaker talking about it. It's awesome. Well, I didn't do that, but I ended up doing the chart, you know, the, the, looking to see if I have one here, the Bible timeline chart. And um, there it is. And I, I, the way that the Bible timeline chart looks today is basically front and back. It is the way I imagined it. You know, about ninety-five percent of it is what I imagined in my mind of how I could lay it out. So I didn't go to class that day. Uh, I was just inspired. So I went immediately to a craft shop, got some markers and things. I went to a meat market. Got a big piece of white paper, like six feet long, two and a half feet high for, for I think, a quarter. And I went home, cleared off the kitchen table in my mother-in-law's basement, got out my books and started with my yardstick, started drawing periods and, and developing this, this idea. Well, right around 2000, 1999, 2000, Ascension Press uh, said that they would publish The Great Adventure, A Journey Through the Bible, which was going to be 24 sessions to go through the entire bible originally it was a quick journey it was just a quick journey do it in a day you know and and matt pinto was the one who agreed to that he saw the value of it and uh so i developed that and then it's it's just been uh, uh further developed all these years and then it was in 20 the earlier part of 2020 father mike and i you know we've been friends for 18 years and he's just a nut about the great adventure. He loves the great adventure. Mm. He said that it, it has done more for his understanding of salvation history than all of his uh, seminary. Mm. And, and he says that on, these, on the podcast. You know, he talks about that. So I'm not making something up it's there. It's really amazing. But, but it's awesome. we go to Israel together and we go to Greece and Turkey together and those types of things. Well, anyway, he wanted to do this podcast where, where he wanted to read the Bible. That's all we wanted to do. Read it. That's it. And just... Make, make a few comments at the end. But 
we realized that if we're going to do that, we're going to take the three-month reading program of The Great Adventure, which is three months to read all 14 narrative books. If we're going to do that, we're going to have to take the entire Bible and stretch it out for the entire year to do it in chronological order. So we decided, you know, that he's going to, he, he wanted to read it and give a little commentary. And then I would come in and I would guide the listener throughout the story at all of the pivotal points, the periods, the new periods, so they wouldn't get lost, you know, because you can read the whole Bible in a year. I guarantee you, people aren't going to get it. They're mm -hmm. not going to get the story. But if you tell them they're going to get the story and you, you do it in chronological order, even where the prophets belong and so forth, then they get excited because it, you're giving them the keys to reading and understanding yeah. the Bible. Yeah. So what we, what we did is we got about three months ahead in the recording of it. And then January 2021, COVID, you know, uh, January 2021 comes about and the show launches on Apple. And on, this, on January 1st, I totally forgot that we did it. Because I have other things. You know, I do my, my Jeff Caven show, yeah. week, the regular podcast, or now I'm doing a daily with uh, Jonathan Rumi, who plays mm -hmm. Jesus sure. you know, on The yeah, yeah. Chosen. So I do that on Hallow, and uh, it's a daily reflection. But I, you know, I, I forgot about it. And then a producer calls and says on January 2nd, are you sitting down? Like, yeah, why? You're number one in the country. And I, and I, I drew a blank. I said, number one what? And she said, you're the number one podcast in America. And I still was a little bit blank and I'm thinking my own show. And I thought, well, that, how did that happen? What? And she says, Bible in a year. I said, oh, really? Oh, my. And I said, Let me, yeah, be kidding. I went on my computer, looked it up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We are. And that stayed that way for most of January. And then. And then it's just stayed around the top 15 or so, you know, the rest of the rest of the year. And then this last January, you get another call. Are you sitting down? Yeah, why? We did it again. <laughs> we did it again. So this year we're going to be developing, we're developing now a catechism in a year. Yeah. It's, uh, it's along the same lines. Right. Uh, and there's a beautiful new catechism. Oh, man, is it beautiful. Father's going to do the reading on a daily basis. We'll see what happens. Who knows? Oh. We never... We never saw the other one going to number one, never even discussed it, never even thought about it, you know? Yeah, that's fantastic. And it leads me to my next question. I mean, why do you think it's so popular? How, why do you think it resonated so deeply with so many people? I mean, I, I would say, I would say that my answer goes from what do I think to what do I know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that, and that is, uh, people are, people are looking, um, you know, Mario, people are looking for two things. They're looking for, a brighter future and someone to trust and they're not finding it they're not finding it in politics they're not finding it in network news they're not finding it in in hollywood they're not finding it in sports they're not people do not see a brighter future and someone to trust but you can trust jesus he does have a brighter future for us and so I think that when we put that podcast out there, there was such a hunger for yeah. someone to trust and a brighter future that it took on a life of its own. And it it just grew and grew and the momentum was was intoxicating, really. We could there's nothing we could do about it. It was just happening. 
And we were getting calls from all kinds of major news agencies who want to talk. How did you do it? How did you do it? And the answer, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. And Father and I joke that had we known that the goal was to be the number one podcast in the country, we would not have done that. <laughs> we would have been funny or something. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's. <laughs> Well, I, I, it's it's awesome. Uh, I, I guess the deeper question is that you, you said it. You know, they wanted something to trust, but really, um, uh, I mean, the bottom line are people are longing, right? And and many people will say that the the Bible is the spoken word of the Father. Many of us, most of us, know that the Bible is the Lord speaking to us, but most of us don't understand it. So I think you struck a chord. You struck a need that was so. Uh, ready to burst given the times uh, and the culture and the confusion that's out there, people wanted to be uh, drawn closer to God and and you guys were able to do that. So maybe you, you can, we can uh, share a little bit about, you know, how is the scripture scriptures literally the voice of the father speaking to us? Can you explain that to sure. us a little bit? God is the author of this, and he moved on people to write those things and only those things he wanted written for the sake of our salvation. Yet at the same time, each of the authors wrote with their own style and their own background, and they wrote what they wanted to write. Together, you have this coming together uh, in such a beautiful way, like the hands on a piano and the strings underneath it, you know? And it's the piano's playing the music, but it's the composer that is determining what that will look like. That's the way it is. Um, the Bible is, is uh, inspired and without error in the same way that Jesus is a man, yet without sin. So uh, the, the, what the Bible does is the Bible reveals who God is. It reveals two things, really. And you can read about this. I think it's paragraph 236 of the Catechism. but to look. But um, it talks about two words, the theology that we need to learn and understand, and the other is what's called the economy of God, oikonomia. So you got the theology and the economy, big words. First one, theology, gets down to knowing the mystery of the Trinity. God is revealing the mystery of the Trinity. Break it down even more. God is revealing his heart He's revealing his heart to us. We can come to know him. We can depend upon him. He is not, um, he's not random. You know, he doesn't just suddenly do one thing on Monday and an opposite on Tuesday. We can come to know uh, the heart of our father. That's the theology. The economy, the word economy back in the Bible days did not, uh, wasn't restricted to just the financial realm of society. But the word oikonomia, the word economy, spoke about a father's household plan. So when you get those two together, the Bible gives us the heart of our father and his plan mm. for us. You put those together and you have a foundation on which you can trust. You know, there's such a, there's such a desire uh, to understand God and know God, but sometimes reading the Bible could be really overwhelming and uh the resources that you've provided, these things that you worked on and, and released really help us 
to understand what God is saying. Because we have to, in order to completely understand his message, we do have to go deeper. And sometimes people are kind of put off on that. Well, I don't get it. I'm going to stop reading this. I don't understand it. But, uh, you know, I'm a musician by trade and I you used a lot of music analogies. I'll use the same. It's like, it's like you don't get to the beauty of perfecting the instrument that you're trying to learn until you spent a lot of time in understanding technique and that technique will grow that you'll be able to perfect speaking in that language. Uh, so it's not really any different than understanding who God is, you know, reading the Bible. And uh, I love the work that you're doing. I love, uh, I'm excited about this new podcast, uh, rather uh, the catechism that you're going to be releasing in January. Yeah. Cause that, uh, I think that's kind of a, a, a hidden gem amongst Catholics. I mean, devout Catholics and people that are into their faith know about the catechism, but a lot of people do not know about the Catholic, you know, the catechism that has been a treasure of resources for us, as you pointed out. Uh, is, really there anything, is there anything, Jeff, that you want to share with our listeners and viewers that's something that you're presently working on outside of, uh, you know, releasing the, the catechism? And what is the title of that, by the way? Is it the year in a catechism? Catechism in a year. Okay. Like we had Bible in a year, catechism in okay. a year. Okay. Uh, is there yeah. anything new that you want to talk about that well, you're excited about? I, I, yeah. Yeah. There, there are a couple of things. One is I would say that if, uh, if you're interested in the catechism in a year, go to ascensionpress.com and get all the material. We have the timeline. Awesome. Uh, there's a new catechism. I highly recommend it. It's awesome. gorgeous. Mm. It's gorgeous. Get all the material that you can to start with us at the beginning of the year. Secondly, uh, next year, I'm going to be starting a new video show on YouTube with Ascension Presents, and it's going to be the Bible timeline uh, with me, Jeff Cavins. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be bringing in, we're going to go through the entire timeline, and we're going to be bringing in some of the top scholars in the world to discuss each period and the harder parts that we that we have a harder time believing, you know, or understanding, like uh, like a whole city being completely obliterated in the Old Testament, harem mm. warfare. What about that? So we're going to be bringing in just top-notch scholars for that, and that, and look to an announcement uh shortly from ascension press they'll they'll let you know what the data that is and how to get a hold of it uh we're going to be uh doing it in the twin cities uh we have a studio built now and uh we'll be doing that show from here but it will be on the uh, uh great adventure uh, channel and we're also taking into consideration a catechism in a year and so we hope to bring in some of the teachings of catechism in a year into the bible timeline as we go forward so we're really uh, really excited about that. And uh, uh, next year, in um, next year in June, Father Mike Schmitz and I are leading a pilgrimage to the Holy Land mm. in uh, in June. And then we're also doing the same in the summer of 2024. In case you can't get into 23, we're doing it again in 24. And those tickets go fast. Well, that's great. What a I love the journey you're on, Jeff. God bless you and your work, and uh, Thank you. let's continue to pray for one another. Uh, for uh, the church, uh, really needs these kinds of programs, and and the lady stepping up. So, God bless you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So glad you joined us for this episode. I want to remind you to please share this podcast with as many people as possible. Let everybody know we need to know God better. Also, please comment in the comment section. Please give us an endorsement. This really helps us. We also want you to prayerfully consider going to our donation page to help support our work. Go to our website at arrayofhope.org. Join us every day on social media where we keep you connected to our faith through music, videos, 
and daily reflections. Lots of great stuff to share with you all. We pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day on Instagram at 3 p.m. Please join us. Our guest next time will be Father Gerald Murray, and he is a canon lawyer. You might say, well, what is a canon lawyer? Well, join us and you're going to find out. So thanks for joining us today. And remember, there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Peace.